Hi, this is Sean Whalen, and you're listening to Neil Jones on Without Your Head Radio. Keep your head on, or don't. <laughs> Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Charles De La Rizica. And I totally no. mispronounce that. No. De La Zarica. De La Zarica. <laughs> I'll edit that, and I'll look smart. Okay, but good. And that cool. part won't make any sense. <laughs> uh, Love Bite. It's going to be playing at Shriekfest. Yeah, no, I can't wait. I'm very excited. It's our West Coast premiere. Have you watched it with an audience before? I did. It's been it's been a strange festival run uh, with the pandemic kind of landing square in the middle of it because we had like three or four screenings, uh, festival screenings before things started to shut down. Then we went hybrid. Then we went virtual. Then we went back to live for a minute and then we went back to virtual. So this is going to be the first one um, in a while in front of a live audience. And it's a new version of the film. I've actually made changes over time. So um, so no one has seen this particular version before. Uh, when when you make changes already that already uh, when it played, do those changes come about? You know, because you watch it with people and thought, well, maybe I'll change this. Or absolutely, I mean, it's almost like having a, a an ongoing test screening um, to like just get reaction and kind of, and also you live with it for a while too because we really raced to finish i didn't want this to be one of the short films where we were in we were in post for a year or two years and you know i was really adamant we we get it done and and part of it was because we wanted to have our premiere at the sieges film festival in spain because that's where uh my wife carly and i met we were jurors on two different juries in sieges we met there and then i proposed to her two years later i think um in spain 
So it was, it was kind of for us to make a film together. We thought we have to premiere it at Sieges. So we were racing to meet the Sieges deadline. And um, I didn't quite get to polish it the way I wanted to polish it, but it was still, it was still presentable. Yeah. So now it's now it's like ninety nine point nine percent polished. I consider it right now. So for Shriekfest, did you uh, make this during COVID or pre COVID? We made it pre COVID. We our our first screening was um, I want to say October of twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. and um, so we were just a few months before it's we even knew what the word COVID was, um, and it's that really our film took on a different dimension <laughs> because it was yeah. about a a couple of different 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 political backgrounds arguing about how a virus spreads <laughs> and just like that became our reality it's very weird yeah i i watched it i was like oh i wonder if they they must have made this during covid but then yeah that's weird uh, along yeah, those what, lines what, uh, uh sorry to interrupt you i was just wondering because you said you know it's about uh two people of different political backgrounds arguing which was happening on social media long before covid but uh yeah. since now it comes out during covid are there any people who who think, oh, well, they must take this side of, of the argument or they take this other side of the argument? I haven't had anybody like really that kind of like deeply focused on the, the dynamics between the characters, like pick a side. Basically, I think it's more of an observational piece where it's like this is what happens when people don't communicate. This is what happens when you break down into like a, a toxic divide between people. And, and the point of the film is not so much to like message you over the head with it. It was meant to be like. This is what what's going to happen to us if we don't, you know, if we don't yeah. get along, and that's why kind of everyone in the film sort of suffers, except maybe the little dog. Yeah, yeah. Not to give away, but it's basically like uh, your side being right is the most important thing, regardless of if it's true or how you get there. That's right. That's exactly right. And that was, and that was like you say, that was a problem before COVID, and oh, COVID yeah. only made it COVID only made it worse. And so the fact that we have a, you know, a deadly virus in our movie <laughs> that, that that helps you know, kind of like accentuate those issues uh, was, it was, I'm not going to say it was a bonus or we were lucky because I hate. Right. It's world, a weird thing to say. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's a, it's a weird new flavor added to the film. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a weird world anyway. I don't think I've, you know, uh, before the last, like maybe five or six years, I don't think I've ever seen uh, anyone like, no, I'll see people really will share things that they you'll tell them isn't real and they'll admit it isn't, but they like, we like the message behind it. I was like, oh, I don't understand, but yeah. Yeah. You can, you can basically seek out what, whatever your narrative is and find <laughs> enough evidence for yourself to believe it. Even if like empirically it's wrong. It's right. like, you can, it's like, it's like custom made truth now, you know, <laughs> that people are like seeking out and that's so dangerous. It's so scary. And it's like, I feel like that's why we're in, we have the problems we do. Cause we just, we're just like, fan ficking our reality you know it's kind of like <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy mm-hmm. um but i always think that's a one of the the b- best things about genre film you know sci-fi or horror is you could talk about uh political or social things um but within you know a different so you could watch it and look at for that or you could watch it you know as as a as a zombie short totally and you know a big thing for me was I'm a, I'm a huge George Romero fan. And yeah. when, when, when my wife Carly came up with the original idea for this, it was sort of a, a more of a whimsical bicker, old bickering couples argument over zombie apocalypse, over the zombie virus. And it was a little more cute, I guess. Maybe cute's the wrong term, but it was, it was lighter. Mm-hmm. And I, when she gave it to me to ask if I wanted to make this with her and make a, you know, a short out of it, I was immediately thinking, wow, another zombie story. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, how do we make that interesting? 
And the fact that we live like 20 minutes from where they shoot the walking dead. Uh-huh. And we know a lot of people who work on walking dead. It's sort of like, okay, <laughs> let's talk about zombies. And I, I love zombie movies, but I just feel like it's been done to death. No pun intended. So I feel like what would George do, you know? And I feel like when you look at night living dead and it has that kind of like that sort of like underbelly of Vietnam era, dis- distrust of the government and racial tension kind of mixed in. Then you look at Dawn of the dead, which is about eighties consumerism and, and how our need to just like, feed our, our our materialistic hunger right and then day of the dead taking place on nuclear missile silo during the cold war it's like each of his films yeah there's zombies in it but that's not what, what the zombies zombies aren't important they're like the white noise in the periphery so i thought let's not make this about zombies even though that is what gets us into the story what's what's the commentary to make now at the time in 2019 and fortunately it's or unfortunately rather it's still relevant to today it's like you know we're not respectfully communicating with each other we are just picking sides we're picking teams we're wearing a red jersey or red jersey or a blue jersey it's like we're not we're not unified the way we would hope to be uh in our world so i thought that's kind of what a a romero-esque take would be nowadays i believe he he would probably want to get into that so i in our own tiny little way i thought let's let's approach it from a romero point of view of like how would he how would he go about it yeah no, I no, that's a great way to uh, to mention. And it's weird because when I was writing notes watching it, it's like um, I you know wrote down that you know zomb- zombies automatically people are going to f- be familiar with that, so that's a good part. But then also you have to really stand out uh, to be noticed when you're making any kind of zombie story, since there are so many. And uh, like well, that, did, you know, just made about something else. No, thanks. And, that, and that, well, that's why there's a line in there where we're. Um where Carly and as a character, Nancy, she says, you know, like, isn't it weird that people in zombie movies have never seen a zombie movie. Yeah. And, and I think that's such a weird phenomenon in most, not all the zombie movies, but a lot yeah. of zombie movies, like zombies are not a thing in, in like pop culture in those, in those universes. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, let's just assume we're in the real world. People know what zombies are. Let's not spend time having to explain what zombies are capable of, how you take them out. I mean, that's why there's like, there's not a single, well, there's maybe there's one shot with some guns in it, but there's like no, you know, bullet in the head moments in our film because that's not what it's about. We're not about killing zombies. Like you said, we've seen that a million, like, okay, it would be much better if you just get into a zombie film and they already know all the rules. Oh, we got to destroy the brain. Which is really weird anyway because that's totally Romero thing and that's just become, you know, that's just become like doctrine in the the zombie film. Absolutely. I mean, and and it's, it's so clean and simple and pure a concept. Why belabor it? Let's just get into it. Let's get into the world. And plus, it's a short film. We don't have time to get into it. So let's just, yeah, you know, yeah. let's move. That's why I wanted to open, open the film very quickly. It's like the, the opening of the film is almost like an action movie. It's like we just jump right into the middle of it. We just get a little bit of action because we know for the next, like, you know, several minutes, we're going to be stuck in a truck. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very psychological, very emotional, very intimate between these two characters. So I thought, let's see the world a bit. Let's kind of get some some action in the opening, some zombie action. So that was like my indulgence in the first, you know, couple minutes. Yeah, that's something, you know, obviously it's, it's there, but I didn't really think too much at the time because I was into it. But, it, you know, it's it's one setting. They're sitting in a car. The difficult. What's how is that? What's that like to make that interesting? It's basically two people, you know, having dialogue. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, when I directed my first feature, uh, Crave, some years back, um, there were a number of car scenes. And I swore I'd never shoot in a car again because it's just <laughs> it's so tough to place uh-huh. a camera in interesting places. Um, especially when you're dealing with like, you know, a, a red, you know, Gemini or Alexa, whatever you're shooting with, it's like, it's like, these are big cameras and it, there's not a lot of room to move them in a, in a car that you can't 
cut open like on a big studio movie so um I, I, I chose color as kind of like my way of, of differentiating scenes and kind of making it visually interesting so you don't get bored. So it's not just a, a tennis match of like head to head to head, back and forth, back and forth. So uh, in the film, there are, the, there are these kind of color chapters where when we're there in day and it's kind of like this kind of milky, sick, amber, yellow vibe. Then you go to the first night sequence, which is green, kind of like glow stick, you know, night vision looking stuff. Then you get to kind of like more basic night, which is like blue kind of desaturated. And then you go to the dawn at the end, which is, you know, much more vibrant red and angry. So, and that also is a mirror of, of Romero in a way, you know, doing the cycle, the day night, you know, dawn cycle. So um, that's how I, I try to differentiate scenes and, and keep it visually interesting for the audience. So they didn't check out and they were just like, you know, why am I in a truck for 15 minutes? Right. I was real quick too. It was interesting. There's another film at um, Shriekfest called Zealandia, and it's a it's a New Zealand short, and it's about uh, New Zealand being the only uh, country that uh, that's not taken over by a virus, and like since it's dystopian future. And so I just totally assume you know they made it about this, and yeah, he made it pre COVID too. And then like he said, it's just totally a bizarre coincidence. And and also New Zealand turned out to be like one of the only countries where they weren't. So it's very very bizarre uh, coincidence. Yeah, no, I wonder if there'll, there'll be a film, and maybe there already is, uh, of, of people surviving in New Zealand during a zombie apocalypse, like the only safe haven, and then one thing goes wrong, and then it, you know, paradise is lost. But yeah. So along those lines, are you talking about, you know, you have two people in, in the car keeping that interesting, but you also have to cast uh, two people for those roles since that's, you know, the, the movie. So uh, was that hard to cast those two guys, the, the two characters? No, it, it, super easy, barely inconvenienced, as they say. Um, it was... Um, <laughs> You know, I, I happen to wake up next to one of them every day. So that's All my right. wife, Carly. Um, and uh, she was the, you know, she originated the story and um, it, it all came from her imagination. And then I just added my kind of dark Romero-esque, you know, take on it. So that was a great partnership that we could collaborate on a script and the movie together. And then Kyle Carvin, who plays George, um, he's a longtime friend, an actor who lives near us. And he he was on Walking Dead. He played one of the saviors in a couple episodes. Um and uh he's great and we just wanted to work together so it wasn't really so much we went out and cast the movie it's just like we have some friends that are talented let's just make a movie together yeah uh it was it was really that simple so um that's kind of romero too i mean the lead of uh, the romero film they always say it wasn't like written that he was you know uh, a black guy was he he was the best actor that they knew and so he did yeah happen that way yeah for sure so uh, do you butt heads at all, uh, you know, when you're making a, a movie together or collaborating on a project together? No, strangely not at all. And I don't I don't think butting heads is a bad thing, because I think sure. if, you, if you have two kind of opposing creative forces, you know, clashing on an idea, I don't mean like, you know, ego or personality, I mean, just like an, a debate over how, how to proceed. Sometimes a third new idea comes out of that clash that neither one of you anticipated and it's better than ever. So it's like. I, I, I enjoy the debate and discussion. Um, so on the this point movie, of the movie, it's better to debate. Ex- than, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. So, uh, you know, we were, we didn't, uh, you know, spend a lot of time in prep. I mean, we, between writing and shooting, it was maybe, maybe two or three months. And um, so we were pretty focused on just like the logistics and the checklist of we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to do this. But, 
Um, so we didn't get, we didn't really have a lot of time or energy to debate because we were focused on making the movie, but we did have a rehearsal day, which was great. And we just sat around the table, read the script and we talked about the tone. We talked about the dynamics between the characters. And, um, I always believe having in my day job, documenting major motion pictures and watching how those get made and watching how the directors deal with, you know, big movie stars. I, in my, in my personal opinion, think, think it's best to really hash it out before you get to set. Like either if you, if you're allowed full blown rehearsals, great. If you just have dinner and you just talk about the script, really get into it, but like talk about it before you get to set. So when you get to set, you're doing minor adjustments of like, you know, bigger, smaller, faster, slower. You're not having to break away for 10 minutes to, to debate on set. Cause that, that ruins the momentum of the shoot. So we didn't really have any kind of like clashing of heads necessarily just because we were so we, we eased into it gently enough that we were all on the same page and whatever conversations we had, they were all very sort of like, there, there wasn't the pressure of the shoot on us because we were doing it way ahead of time. Uh, what's the difference between, uh, you know, directing um, like a, a document, a documentary for, you know, like a special on a DVD as opposed to making a narrative? Um, well, you still have to tell an interesting story. You still have to, kind of create characters, whether it's uh, the way, how you focus your onset kind of B-roll camera or how you ask the questions during interviews, but like ultimately uh, it's in the edit, right? Like you're crafting the story and the characters in your documentary editorially. So there's still all that that that's similar. Uh, Just the difference is you generally don't control reality. So when you're making a documentary, you're kind of slaved to whatever is really happening. Uh, In a narrative, it's like you do mostly control reality. I, I, I like to l- allow for happy mistakes and happy accidents because that's something in the documentary world you see all the time mm-hmm. that you're in the right place at the right time and magic happens or something, something bad happens, but it's great for the story. Um, in a narrative, you, you rarely have that unless you're allowing your actors to kind of play a bit or just something weird happens on set that you happen to capture. And that's great too. So again, because we were in the truck and we were sort of you know, geographically stuck in one spot that allowed uh, Carly and Kyle to, to play a little bit and to like actually, and because they were friends in real life to kind of just bounce off each other and generate a bit of a, a reality that the, that a narrative, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, it allows for it, but it doesn't necessarily offer it to you, you know, and you have right. to kind of fight for it. Yeah. And this, this was, this was kind of more fun and just, you just kind of like recorded the byplay and the, and the inter- interchange between the two. Mm-hmm. That's something I bring up sometimes, though. I, I think it's kind of a myth, or people people don't think of a of a, of a, um, a documentary as like a story necessarily. But I mean, it's definitely storytelling. And and if people will will say like this, I don't like this documentary because they might have took like a stance one way or the other. But I kind of think all of them do. I mean, I don't know if they would really work if they didn't. But uh, but along those lines. Uh, at the story in a documentary, I assume you don't go in like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. It really forms itself in the uh, in the editing. It depends on if it's a retrospective documentary or a present day kind of contemporaneous documentary. If it's retrospective, then I've already already know the basics of what right. the story was, what made it interesting, how the film was received or whatever. So then I go in. I don't go in with like an agenda to say we're going to tell the story, but I go in with kind of, you know, guardrails of like okay i know approximately this is going to be the the landscape of the story on a new movie or tv show then you really are journalistically chasing right. the interesting parts of the, yeah. of the making of so that's that's the big difference between the two uh maybe you don't want to answer but uh how is the um the rise of streaming sites and 
you know, a lot less physical media. How has that affected, uh, affected your work? Uh, it's, it's not been good. Um, it's definitely a different world now than it was when home video was really flourishing. Um, and, and part of that, it's not just, I mean, I wouldn't blame the streamers for that, uh, other than that, they don't seem that interested in it, but the reason they may not be interested in it is because maybe the audience isn't interested in it anymore. Um, only like diehard fans or film buffs still care about the making of material. Yeah. And you have to, you have to find maybe a new way to tell those stories that interests the mainstream because when the mainstream became interested in making of material, it was with the rise of DVD, right? And DVD was this sexy new format that was cheap and clean and digital. You can like create libraries, like anybody could do it. And you could get any movie you wanted pretty much. And, and you could, I don't know, it was more fun to collect DVDs. And then Blu-ray came along and that became slightly more niche, even though now it's pretty you know common, obviously. But it, I don't think people wanted to rebuy their libraries and Blu-ray. So yeah, at exactly. each stage, yeah. and, that, and now, with, now with 4K, it's kind of like each stage, as the format got better and better and better, the format got better and better and better, it was sort of like, did the mainstream want to like rebuy stuff? And that's, they lost interest in that, I think. And they lost interest in the, in the commonality of filmmaking, which is how many times, how many making ups can you watch before you, you know, okay, I know how movies are made. I don't need to see another one, which is why when I do a making up documentary, I always try to focus on the human story. Like what were the challenges? What were, were like the, the, the issues, the things they had to, they had to overcome not what kind of camera they were using and what the editing process is like. I mean, that's, that's film school. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't think a making of documentary should be film school necessarily. I think it should tell you how this particular movie was made and how they overcame the challenges that they, that they had to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. Myself that I like the specials. Uh, I mean, I honestly don't buy a lot of DVDs because a lot of them don't even have the specials anymore, unless it's like a, a special release of some kind. But I like this. I like that. And I, I'm a big commentary fan, which uh, there's hardly any commentary tracks on, on anything new. Well, I, I think, you, again, it's just it's about reengaging the mainstream audience, because I think the fans will always be there for it. like people that, that love the process of filmmaking or fans of a particular movie or TV show or whatever. They will always show up. And they will always be interested in, in the in the behind the scenes stuff. It's it's just kind of like the regular folks that just you know they, they just want to watch a movie. They want to like you know tune out for two hours or, or have their kids watch something for for you know the, the day or whatever. Getting those people back is going to be difficult. Uh, I don't I don't think a new format will do it. It'll have to be a new um, approach, a new execution to the existing way you tell I all these seen stories. A few independent uh, films recently that put the special uh, uh, special features online too with the streaming, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I hope there's more of that. Um, and maybe, maybe if there's been sort of a lull in the special features, uh, ex- you know, interest that people will rediscover, or people who didn't even know they existed, like there, enough time might have passed, whether it's like you know, ten years or fifteen years from when from the heyday of DVD and Blu-ray, that maybe they'll say, "Wait, I didn't even realize that they they, they had these yeah. like documentaries or commentaries." So maybe there'll be a new wave of interest. Well, so I don't know. That's like that's something's kind of hard to predict, but I I, I hope it happens. You know. Yeah. So you said uh, you you're near where they do um, the Walking Dead. How did the Walking Dead change? Uh, I guess in Atlanta. How did that change that community, like the, the filmmakers, the filmmaking community there? Well, it certainly helped um, bring attention to the Atlanta area in terms of a, a viable place to shoot movies and TV shows. And also, also have to say, Tyler Perry really, really beefed that interest up and the the infrastructure for filmmaking in the Atlanta area. Uh, by you know creating his studios and and all the stuff that they do, so between the two, I think that really helped uh, Georgia as a as a filmmaking 
um, powerhouse that it is now today. Cause I mean, there's like, you know, like 60 movies being shot or TV shows being shot right now. So right at, at this moment. So um, walking dead, I, I, I think another interesting aspect of walking dead was in the town where they shoot a lot of it, which is uh, Sonoya, um, it, it's become like a tourist attraction. And that little town, which I, I, I heard, you know, before I moved there that, that, to that area, uh, was not like a big booming town. And now it's like a really cute, like little boutique, you know, like little shops and little, you know, restaurants and things. It's really nice little town with the main street that the main street of Sonoya or Sonoya as the locals call it, uh, was Woodbury in seasons three and four of Walking Dead, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's like the main street of that little town. And then a block away from that is where Alexandria, the, the Alexandria free zone is still to this day up like the, the corrugated metal walls and the, the windmill and all the stuff that is Alexandria is right there. You can walk up to it and like yeah. take pictures next to it. So um, it's a tourist attraction. It's got an interest uh, from like fans all over the world that want to come and check it out. And I think that only helps the, the Georgia film community in terms of like, you know, it's not just Hollywood or London or New York. It's, you know, it's the Atlanta area is pretty hopping. Yeah. Way back in the, on our first couple of years of the show, I when I was reading The Walking Dead before it became a TV show, I kept saying, this will make a great TV show. No one ever gave me a cut of the show or anything. <laughs> yeah, you, you and Frank Darabont should join into another lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting, too, like as you talked about the Romero movies, you know, I grew up loving zombie movies, and uh, it's so weird how mainstream they've become. It's like uh, you can... Uh, I mean, you couldn't buy like zombie shirts anywhere really when I was a kid, but now you can get like, go to Walmart and get like a kid size uh, zombie shirt or lunchbox. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. I mean, zombies are interesting because um, they represent uh, a clear and present sort of evil that are manageable. You know, it's like, it's not like um, a virus or it's not like um, say a, a serial killer or someone that is like, you know, intentionally very, very strategically coming after to kill you or to chop you up or whatever. Zombies are just like a thing. They're like fungus. They're like, they're like just something that are just in nature that um, you can choose to avoid. And if, and if you come across one, you have to deal with it like you would like a, a weed in a garden, but, but they're kind of like very sort of innocuous in their own strange way until they get within reach of you and then it's a whole other story. So they're deceptive. They're deceptively kind of easy to deal with in a way. But then if you find yourself in a situation like we see in so many zombie movies that they'll, they'll tear you apart and they'll eat you alive, you know? So it's kind of like, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic because it, it also represents a very clear moral uh, divide between the living and the dead, which I think some people, some people who are like kind of turned on by survivalist fantasies or end of the world stories, they like having a clear cut villain or a clear cut thing to, to take out and to like clarify their own existence. So zombies provide that, you know, it's like, you don't really get to know many zombies, you know, like Bub and day of the dead is one of the few, like one of the first zombies that you, yeah. you kind of fall in love with because he has a personality. Right. But, but most zombies, they don't, they're not afforded that kind of screen time and that kind of character development. So most of them are just like fodder. And, and I, and I think that makes for kind of an interesting, easy, um, kind of like a negative challenge to go against in, in, a, in an end of the world situation. Um, but yeah, you're right. They are very mainstream. People get them. There's not a lot to figure out with zombies. And even when they try to do spins on them, like in say an army of the dead, 
when you had like the, the the zombie queen and the whole hierarchy and that Las Vegas, you know, sort of civilization, zombie civilization. It's like, okay, that's like a new spin on something, but I still don't really care about them any anymore. <laughs> right. I, I, I want to care about the human characters because they're the ones that are, that I can identify with, but I, it's very rare. I've, I've, I've identified with a zombie and that's where I go back to Bub. It's like, that's the first zombie I could think yeah. of where I thought, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to cheer Bub on because he's, even though he's the part of the dead, he's still basically a good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. Um, it's funny. Cause uh, I grew up, what uh, I love Dawn of the Dead is still my favorite, but I never liked Day of the Dead when I was a kid, but I like it a lot more now. Uh, when I was a kid, I liked the, the zombie stuff, but uh, the rest of it was a little slow. And it's, I'll be honest, the acting is really over the top. But, um, but yeah, I look at it differently when, when I get older. Yeah, I think Day has aged very well. Um, you know, Night and Dawn are, are like instant classics. They, 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 they still are as powerful as they were when they first came out. And, and, and Dawn especially is, I, that's one of my like top four favorite horror films. And I love that it has a lot to say, but it's also a lot of fun. It, yeah. It's not just scary and gory and bloody, which it is. It's a fun movie and it's a smart movie. And Day is more smart than it is fun. It's not really a super fun movie, but no. there's a lot of interesting stuff being said in Day uh, to the point where maybe it's a little talky. Maybe it gets a little too much in debate on, you know, sort of like the military versus the scientists. But I think it's still a, a valuable film and i consider it wholly part of that that trilogy is like a you know a complete it's a complete trilogy those films for me yeah uh did you do you have a favorite uh zombie movie don don the original dawn of the dead yeah. for sure uh that blew my mind when I, I saw it when i was 13 the first time and um again it, it really threw me because i was afraid to see dawn of the dead because i had caught um glimpses of night of the living dead on tv as a kid and even that scared me, you know, and I didn't, I didn't understand why it was scary, but it scared me. And then around the same time, the TV spots for Dawn of the Dead started to hit. And all it was, was this graphic of like in 1968, George Romero created Night of the Living Dead. And it's like this, the sun is rising on this horizon. And then you realize, oh, it's not the sun. It's the, it's the bald head of the, the iconic, you know, Dawn yeah. zombie. And this is now Dawn of the Dead or whatever. And then it, it just cuts to that shot of the elevator doors opening and all the zombies lunging in. And, and that terrified me as a kid. Then when I actually saw it, I got the guts to get the VHS of Dawn of the Dead and watch it. I had a blast. I was like, I was just like laughing and loving it and just cheering it on. It was so much fun. And even the dark stretches of it. By the way, I apologize for the sound outside. I don't know if it's bothering yeah, I wasn't you. sure if that was here or on your end. So yeah. No, it's here. I'm at a friend's house and I, oh, okay. I can't control the, I can't control the outside. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, it was like, that to me was like terrifying. The original Dawn tv spots so when i when i finally saw it it really just like opened up this whole world of like oh it doesn't have to be only scary it can have something to say it can be fun the characters can actually have a good time for parts of it but then those moments are challenged by the survival aspects of it like all the good times they had in the mall of like you know shopping for free and taking the money out of the bank and all that stuff there's a price to be paid later you yeah. know as we as we see and that was a big thing for love bite for me it was like whatever happens prices have to be paid for the, ch- the choices and the decisions that are made during the course of the lighter parts of it, you know? And that's why I feel like the, the last five minutes of love bite are really, really unexpectedly dark considering right. what came before it. And that's why the, the little, the little teaser trailer we have is kind of a lie. It's kind of a de- de- deception because I didn't want to show anything in the second half of the movie. To me, that works. And in, in both the Dawn of the Dead and love bite is because uh, you're, you're uh, into the characters and when, when things start to happen to them. You know, so totally. you actually care more, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, Love Bites playing uh, Shriekfest. Um, where does it go from there? 
Well, we're kind of at the end of our festival run. Um, I think we have like two or three more festivals after Shriekfest. Um, and then we're just going to try to find a home for it to, to stream somewhere. Um, you know, I've had some discussions with some, some companies and, um, it's really just a matter of finding the right place for it. And, um, that, that decision hasn't been made yet, but my goal for the rest of the, like the end of this year is to, to figure that out where it's going to live. Yeah. That's cha- really changed over the last few years. You know, those platforms now for, for a short film where it used to be after the festival run, they'd either just really just disappear or, you know, or someone put them on YouTube, but now there's, you know, you can, there's shutter and Amazon, you know, places uh, they can land. Yeah, totally. I'm, 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 you know, I'm very interested to see where, where is the right fit for it? Um, because it's, it's, it's weird. It's not a traditional horror film. It's not horror with a capital H. It's more of a horror satire. Right. And a lot of the, a lot of the streaming services want Just things to scare you. They, they want, they want something that scares you in less than 10 minutes. And Love Bite is more thoughtful beyond just scaring. It's like scaring is like not its its priority. It's about creeping you out. Maybe it's about making you think about darker things. But it's also a little longer than most of the shorts. I mean, it's sixteen minutes and forty eight seconds or whatever. So that's actually kept us out of some festivals. Like I've had notes come back from festival people that say, "Oh, we love it. It's just we can't make it fit in our programming." Yeah. It's like, oh, all right, you know, next time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you st- I, I know like uh, some people make features and if they make them over two hours, it does, you know, they can't fit them in. I, I get that. But it's weird that a 16 minute short is, is, is getting too long in this world. Yeah. It, I mean, having been a juror now on multiple, you know, at multiple festivals and having gone through festivals with Love Bite and watching other shorts, I kind of get it. It's like it's when you see like anywhere between like say eight and 12 or 15 shorts in one block, mm-hmm. you, you, you have to reboot your attention each time to say, okay, what's this one about? Who are these characters? And after the sixth or seventh or eighth version of re- rebooting, um, it's, it's, it's kind of tiresome. It's kind of, you get, you get burned out. So if they're shorter, it allows you to get into a, more of a rhythm of like, okay, we're just watching, like we're having like appetizers, you know, we're having tapas basically. And, and we're not having a full meal versus you know you don't know like sometimes you don't know how long the short is like i went to a festival uh, a few days ago and one of the shorts was 40 minutes long right and that was like weird you know because yeah. the other shorts were like 10 or 12 minutes long and i don't know why you would make a short that's 40 minutes long because you're not going to get into most short blocks anywhere and you're also not selling it as a feature it's like right. why yeah. not just 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 some find a way to pad it out and make it a feature and then you can sell it as a feature, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I've, I've had the same thing. It was like, yeah. Cause it's in, it's that mid, mid area that doesn't really fit in either way. You know, it kind of overstays its welcome as a short and, but then it's not quite a feature to actually sell it as a, you know, a DVD or put it somewhere. So yeah, it doesn't fit anywhere. I mean, some stories maybe are just 40 minutes long. Right. You know, maybe that's just, that's the fighting weight for that particular story. And that's, that's the way it is. But, yeah. you know, from the business, the, business, the business side, like as a half hour, like, a, like for a series, either if it was like an episode of a, yeah. of a TV show, I guess maybe an hour TV show if you put ads in it. But, right. But yeah. It's a, it's a strange thing. So uh, are you working on anything currently? I am. I can't talk about it, but that's why I've been traveling like crazy. Um, I'm working on a, on a new, um, I'm, I'm producing behind the scenes content on a new movie uh, that's shooting in very exotic, locales around the world and so oh, I, I haven't traveled as much since before like the last big show i worked on before covid i got flown to tbilisi georgia not not georgia the state georgia the country 
um, for Fast and Furious 9. I did a few days on that. And that was like the last time I traveled before COVID. So to be now traveling like crazy in the, in the COVID era is, is strange, but I'm glad to be, you know, seeing other parts of the world again, because I didn't think yeah. that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been uh, since last year, I think it was Feb. It was right before uh, the right before the shutdown. Uh, I filmed my first movie I produced and then it's been on hold ever since. But uh, but yeah, I haven't traveled anywhere since then. So but hopefully here uh, soon. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, it's, it's great to get out there again. You just have to be safe and careful about how you go about it. Um, you know, and I'm glad Shriek Fest is, you know, taking precautions, obviously, so that they can have yeah. a, a live festival. And, and I really want to direct my second feature, you know, sooner rather than later. And uh, I've had a script for a while that I'm super happy and with and proud of. Um, it's just finding the money for it because it's, it's in a weird budgetary range it's too big to be small it's too small to be big it's kind of like this weird zone that no one's spending that kind of money so um i met with my writing partner yesterday and came up with a new idea about how to do it that completely completely changes the execution of it. it's still still the same basic idea but now i think we've found a way to make it affordably and so now i'm going to be spending my probably the rest of this year you know working on the script to try to make that happen but that's my goal is just to kind of try to get back to uh directing the feature because the first one i had was i really enjoyed the process it, it was tough but um I, I it's addictive directing a feature is addictive because it's not like a short where you knock it out in like two or three days uh it's a marathon and you get kind of you get kind of in this rhythm where you don't want to leave it like i remember the last day of shooting crave we shot in detroit um i didn't i didn't want to i didn't want to leave um, I, I wanted to stay on set and go back to set and keep shooting. And everyone else was like, no, we're getting out of here. We're, we're done. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to keep shooting. Yeah. Uh, where, where, as, uh, where can people see Crave? Uh, it, it was released on home video. Uh, so if you, if you look really carefully, you might find it on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, I'm going to guess it's probably, it's, I mean, I think it's still available to stream. If you just, you know, just Google Crave from, uh, from 2013 and then, um, it should pop up in some form. Um, but yeah, it stars um, Josh Lawson, Emma Long, uh, Edward Furlong, and Ron Perlman. Oh, nice. And Ron was, Ron's, you know, it's always great to see his face on the poster. So, uh, you know, that was good to have. Yeah. And he was great. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, I actually might have checked. I would like to I'm gonna search that out because I really like Love Bite and I'm interested in your other work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Crave is very different. Uh, it's darker and more emotional, and, and it's definitely like a multi genre movie. And people ask me, you know, why did I make a movie that has elements of, thriller horror psychological comedy romance it's like what if i never got to make another movie <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. it's like, like let me just like power through the genres yeah. and just, you know, take a stab at each one so that's what i like about festivals though because you see a lot of films that either don't fit in any genre or they could fit in multiple genres and uh to me that I, I like that i mean i always get annoyed when people start fighting over what genre a movie is like They'll argue, you know, Predators, not a horror movie. It's like, uh, whatever. I don't really care. If you like it, you like it. That's what I think. I agree. I think hybrids are the best. I love genre hybrids because they always give you something you weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they don't follow the tropes that, you know, we've had for decades. You know, it's like they, they find some new spin. Usually they find some new spin that makes it interesting. So I, I, I seek out genre hybrids all the time. I think they're, they're awesome. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I've um, if you've never seen the girl with all the gifts, I think that's mm. a good new take on um, on the zombie yeah. genre. That's also a good yeah. book. I just read the book. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, no, I've heard I've heard good things about it, so I'll, I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. All right, well, this has been very fun to talk with you. 
You too. No, I appreciate you taking the time. And, um, and I'm glad you didn't hate Love Bite. <laughs> no, no, I like that. Not just because you're here, which I shouldn't say because people listen to the show, they pick up on that. And like, well, you didn't mention that. Did you actually like it? Like, oh, I yeah. shouldn't say anymore. But yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, how can people follow you? Not, you know, in, in LA right now, but. Um, um, I'm, I'm all the social medias. I'm at Lazarica, which is my last name, L A U Z I R I K A, um, on all, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, all that stuff that I randomly check every now and then. I've, I've kind of lost interest because it's just, again, the world's gone nuts. But I, uh, but uh, yeah. you can catch me at any one of those, I'm sure. All right, very cool. So, Love Bite at Shriek Fest. And honestly, there's tons of great shorts at Shriek Fest. I've been watching them a lot the last two weeks and uh, really some of the best shorts I've seen. So, people check it out. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to, you know, to dive in and see all these other shorts and all these and see and meet all these other filmmakers. I'm really excited to be out here uh, for it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's cool that you're there. And um, just real quick too, like what are the benefits of a filmmaker, you know, attending a, a film festival? Well, you know, part of it is obviously the, the, the gratification of, of having people watch your film and then coming up and talking to you about it. So, so you feel like there's some meaning to the experience of making the film, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, you don't want to make a film and just put it on the shelf, you know, so you want to get a reaction. So that's fun. And then also meeting the other filmmakers and seeing what they're doing, because that inspires you or, or gives you some kind of competitive, you know, goose to kind of figure out what you're going to do next. But I love, I just love meeting other filmmakers and I love seeing their work and I love just kind of seeing what else is out there. Like what, what direction, um, are various genres going into because like a lot of these fantastic film festivals it's not just horror it's not just science fiction it's like like we're talking about like various hybrid genre films so i just kind of like to see what's out there and and i love to again just sort of like talk to other filmmakers talk to festival goers and uh just communicate you know on a a direct one-to-one level that unfortunately for most of the the pandemic i've not been able to do you know like doing a zoom q a is not the same as being there in in a theater so um, you know, now that we're kind of figuring out how to exist in, in the, the real world again, almost, um, I, I want to try to take advantage of the ones that make sense. And then and Shriek Fest seems to be one of those. Yeah. Very cool. All right. This has been great. And hope to talk awesome. to you again sometime. Thank you. I really appreciate it. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley, we should have listened. Sit here on a lie. Now we're gonna die. The tomb of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming